Graham Thompson grew up and first started his career in Scotland. When he moved to the U.S., he noticed a lot of differences in the mindset when it came to IT, but he also found a way to blend the practicality of those in the U.K. with the entrepreneurial spirit of American workers. Now, as the SVP and CIO of Informatica, he is using all of his knowledge and skills to bring real-time tech solutions to customers around the globe. In this episode, he discusses what IT looks like at Informatica, including how IT has changed and where it's going. Plus, he breaks down the need for real-time hybrid data management and some of the problems and solutions Informatica is seeing in that area of IT. Enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And with me in studio, Graham, how's it going? Hey, good, thanks. Good to be here. It is great to have you in studio. We have a ton of stuff that we're going to get into about your career uh, and what it's like being the CIO of Informatica. It's also great to have a Scott in the studio. I am a quarter Scottish, and we we're talking about some cool stuff, going to the uh, to the the Highland Games. Uh, I've grown up and all this stuff, so it's so cool to have someone who you know grew up with a technology career outside of uh, of the kind of traditional Bay Area stuff. How did you get into IT? Yeah, so it turns out that in the in the eighties there was a booming tech industry in. Uh, in Scotland. So it started with companies like IBM yeah. and then folks like Compaq, Hewlett Packard, Tandem Computers, all of those large, uh, in those days, hardware manufacturers created manufacturing distribution supply chain centers in and around Europe. And Scotland was one of the locations that they often picked. Part of it was because of the uh, engineering background. Uh, and as the traditional engineering jobs were like shipbuilding and things like that, mm -hmm. um, heavy engineering were moving, technology kind of took over. So I started off in supply chain in a tandem computer. Uh, we were the distribution location for all of Europe and most of Asia for all their products. And then at some point, I had the opportunity to move over to the US uh, and then wandered from supply chain into IT. That's really cool. And I love, and for our listeners who probably don't know this, uh, so my grandfather grew up in Glasgow and worked on ships. Like that was like what everybody did mm -hmm. for a long, long time there. It's cool to see that, you know, places that basically take, you know, one core specialty in those same skill sets and then just drop them into, you know, that plus technology. Was that cool to kind of be a part of? It was. So one of the things that I, I really noticed when I moved here is that in, in the UK and in Scotland in particular, there's a very big focus on efficiency operations and making things better. And I believe it comes from the traditional manufacturing engineering and heavy engineering where if you're the logistics of building a ship are pretty complicated yeah. when you think about the logistics of building software. There's a built-in discipline when you're building things that physically exist as opposed to things that, that, that only virtually exist. So folks in the UK are very, very focused at understanding how things work end to end, breaking it down and making improvements. 
Whereas folks here, when I moved to the to the US, I found that folks here are much more entrepreneurial and they really mm -hmm. believe that, you know, four people in a garage can build a product that can change the world. And that's absolutely proven to be true. That's not the way people in the UK tend to think. So what I found is folks in the US are very entrepreneurial, creative, and believe that they can uh, they can build a product that changes the world. But the folks in the UK are um, more likely to figure out an operational way to make it efficiently. Uh, and I think you need both types of people to build a great company. Agreed. And it fits perfectly, you know, to being a CIO. You know, you've been a CIO before. You've been the CIO at, at Informatica. Can you share a little bit about like what that looks like? Like what does IT look like at your org? Yeah, so in Informatica, we're we're very we're fortunate to have a very straightforward, simple, functional organization. So from the the main functions that report to the the CEO are those that you would expect. We've got the head of products, the head of sales, head of customer success, marketing, and then finance, HR, legal. So it's a very centralized, typical functional organization. We don't have regional variations. We've got regional sales teams, but everything else is is basically corporate. So IT is centralized, and I have responsibility for the traditional IT components like operations, applications. I also have responsibility for information security via, uh, via the CISO function. And then the CDO function is a newly created function that we have that also reports into, into me as CIO. So, oh, wow. Okay. So it's very it's centralized, which makes it much easier to get things done. And it also makes it much easier to leverage staff across different functions. Wow. That's, so you're saying, so CISO and CDO are both reporting up to you? Yeah. See, that's so interesting. We've had this conversation, like, you know, obviously with so many different CIOs and we've had CISOs and CDOs and all that stuff on, but it's cool to hear that as that kind of technologist standpoint. Do you have a CTO as well? We do not. We, I would describe our head of products as our virtual CTO. We're, yeah, we're a product sense. company. So then with, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, you wrote a post last year that I thought was really interesting about, you know, the C new CIO being the change inspiration officer. Why do you think that CIOs are so responsible for change? Yeah, so I think if you look at all the different functions within a company, they are all charged with optimizing the outcomes at their functional level. So if you're the head of sales, it's pretty easy to figure out what your objective is. If you're the head of products, it's pretty easy to figure out what your objective is. But somebody has to look at it end to end. And if you're trying to change the way a company works, in our case, we're trying to change from being a uh, traditional enterprise software license and maintenance type of company to being a subscription and cloud company. Mm -hmm. That's a completely different operating model. It changes hundreds of people's jobs within the company. And it's a team sport. It's not about selling and forgetting. You have to yeah. make sure that the customer is going to love the product, adopt the product, get value from the product, so they want to buy more and stay a happy customer. That's a team sport, and it needs everyone from the initial seller to the person that drives adoption, the CSM in our case, mm -hmm. all the way through customer support and renewals to be completely aligned with the outcome of the team, which is making the customer happy so they renew and so they buy more. So if you look at the CEO sees it end to end, the CFO, you could argue, sees it end to end. Yep. The only other function that sees it end to end is IT because they are responsible for all the applications that serve all these business processes all the way from marketing lead generation through customer support, through renewals, through closing the books, 
uh, and all of those processes change when you go through some big transformation in your company. Ours just happens to be moving towards subscription and cloud. Yeah, it's, you know, we had Teen Zoe on talking about the subscription economy and his book subscribed, you know, gosh, that was like last year. Time flies in IT Visionaries timeline. But it was really interesting to hear about how many companies have amazing products that serve customers that were not subscription, that were not SaaS, that were not these things that, you know, his kind of whole piece of this was just that, that this is going to be the new normal, right? Like this is going to be everyone. And that these companies were great at making whatever it is that they made, whether it be tires or, or software or whatever. And with this new change, it takes a new leader. Like it takes a new set of skills. It takes the things that you're talking about. What was it like to be part of a company that was going through that change? So again, based on my experience at Informatica, we, we'd gone through a big change at the company level. We were taken private in the fall of 15. Mm-hmm. And what usually happens when a company is taken private is there's a management team change out. So most of the management team either changed jobs or left and were replaced by someone else. So that builds a team with a common mission of transforming the company. We were all recruited to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as if you've got one person trying to come in as a change agent, fighting against uh, an established status quo. The whole company was was ready to change. So um, from that perspective, it was a much more achievable proposition than than it could have been if you were one person brought in to to change something that really didn't need to be changed. It's hard to prescribe yeah. a fix for something that people don't think is broken. And I mean, and you essentially came in right after that. Yes. Yeah. I started in the spring of 16. Flash forward to now, what are the things that you're really excited about? And we'll, we'll get into data 3.0 and uh, digital transformation stuff a, a little bit a little bit later and like hybridated management, all of that. But first, just from like a leadership standpoint, just from a team building standpoint, what have you, what's the big change that you've seen over the past three years? Yeah, so that we, we see the, the light at the end of the tunnel and the transformation. So our, and the thing, one of the things I'm most proud of is the company has completely changed. Our revenue model is completely different. Wow. And the IT organization has had the opportunity to be a part of that. We, we didn't do it on our own, but often IT ends up in the position where you're, you're basically the, the project punch list yeah. group, right? And you're working on everyone else's good ideas. Yeah. At the expense of what the company actually needs, we've had the opportunity at Informatica to have the IT organization right in the middle of working on the most important thing that the company actually needs to be successful not just what some other mid-level manager would like you to do on their project list, which is often focused on optimizing their local outcomes as opposed to focusing on optimizing the global outcome at the, at the company level. So that's the thing I'm most proud of. And definitely when this transformation is done, that's the thing I'll look back on and, and be happiest about. Yeah, I mean, that's the exciting thing about hitting the tear button, right? Is <laughs> like that you get to, you know, wipe the slate of all of the tickets, like the ticket taking machine can pause for a second and say, hey, we're shifting organizationally and kind of go and fix the big problems that cause all of the, you know, the ankle biting stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. And you think, you know, the way I describe it is for years, decades, probably 
IT has been trying to flawlessly execute the wrong stuff. Yeah, that's a so great way. Like we yeah. get everyone's project list, and you debate about how much capacity you have and how many things can fit in each release. And basically, you work your people really, really hard, and you don't accomplish a thing. You might make some mid-level manager happy because he got his project, but you didn't move the dial at the company level. And then the CEO, the CIO, bemoans the fact that they don't have a seat at the table. You're not going to get a seat at the table by executing department level projects, um, no matter how well you do it. And it's soul destroying for your team. Your team is working yeah. so hard. IT people always have to work nights and weekends because you can't do a change during the week. Oh, I know. Yep. So mm -hmm. you do all that work and they wonder why they don't get any thanks or recognition. And often it's because they've flawlessly executed the wrong stuff. I love that flawlessly executed the wrong stuff. Isn't that just such a microcosm too? Because it's like, I, I know this, this quote gets thrown out there a lot, but it's kind of the, the Henry Ford, uh, if I had asked the people what they want, I would have given them a faster horse, right? Yeah. It's just that sort of thing where I think that a lot of times when you're in the weeds, especially at a user level, you can't see what's coming. You can't see, especially you can't see technologies that are coming and you definitely don't know how those are going to impact your day-to-day -day basis, but that's the job of the CIO, right? To be a step ahead or two steps ahead or try as, as hard as you can. How do you look at innovation? Like how do you look for the next new things, new technologies, you know, building capacity internally to deal with those things? Like what are you on the lookout for on a, on a daily, weekly or monthly basis? Yeah, that's a good question. So those two, those two categories, those new skills and capabilities that IT, modern IT organizations need. And then there's new technology that's becoming available that you might find an application for. So on the technology side, we're very fortunate at Informatica to have a strong architect team within IT. So they're not just technologists, they understand how the technology can be applied to solve the meaningful business problems that we, that we have in front of us. So they are almost like a, a filter that looks in the industry to see what's going on, figures out what might have an application for us, then figures out how long it's going to be until that thing's ready to help us. And then they'll make a decision on, or make a recommendation rather, on we think we should go in this direction. So if you look at putting together a software stack that supports a subscription model, there's multiple ways to do it. You could, you could try and go all in on Salesforce and go everything from Pardot on the marketing side all the way through uh, quote to cash, mm -hmm. or you could choose bits and pieces of things and think about Zora for quoting and and Marketo for your demand gen side of the business and try and figure out what the right connection of all these different things would be. Mm -hmm. And that's, to me, that's the most important job of the archite architect is to figure out how to not make a decision that boxes you in or paints you into a corner down the road and thinking about the what's the end likely to look like and what's the best way to get there in such a way that you minimize any throwaway work or, or that kind of thing, but still gives you enough room to try something and then change direction if either the business priorities have changed or if it just turns out to be a bad decision. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. I was recently talking to a company, much smaller company, but they got locked into a three-year contract with a, with a vendor that is just not, they're not building the future. And it was interesting to hear just how the whole thing worked, right? Like the, just every single piece of this, of the touch points 
of them working with this vendor in this monster contract that's a huge you know i mean it's a deal breaker for their company to get this wrong they're like we're on these people for the next three years it was made by somebody who's now gone from the company we're stuck with this and it's like i mean that sort of stuff is just wild to me and i think you know it's one of the reasons why you know we're so excited to work with you know salesforce lightning platforms especially for this podcast is like someone who is constantly pushing the pace of innovation innovating for the future is like that's who you want to partner with that's who you want to work with you want to work with people that are building the future and like when you make a wrong bet especially if someone comes to you as the cio and says hey we really want this and you're like i know you really want this but this particular vendor is not sought after, you know, or doesn't have the best G2 crowd ratings or something like that. How do you have those conversations when they come to you with something that is, you're like, I, I just don't see this being the future? Yeah, so you you start to touch on the second part of how you manage the, the technology futures, and that's the vendor risk management piece. So as IT starts to move away from managing hardware, you know, you're not, we're not managing data centers with, yep on-prem infrastructure and applications that are on that on-prem infrastructure. So you need IT people that are skillful at managing your vendor population. So vendor risk management becomes really important. Strategic vendor management becomes important to avoid, as you suggest, picking maybe the best solution a year ago. But by the time you're done with your transformation, it's now legacy technical debt. <laughs> yeah, totally. so in some cases, that's where the architect will make a bet and say, I'll just give one example. You know, the, the combination of Zora, Sales Cloud, and RevPro might be the right quote to cash solution mm-hmm. in 2018. But by the time we're done with the transformation in 2020, you would probably have been better picking Steelbrick from Salesforce, Salesforce, Sales Cloud, and billing from Salesforce because they might not be ahead in 2017 or 2018. But you got to believe that by 2019 and 2020, with the R&D capabilities they have, they're going to catch up and, mm-hmm. and exceed the capabilities of those, those vendors. So it might be the right end-to-end decision. It might not be the best decision for an individual function within one of your, one of your groups. So that's the big debate you have when someone comes to you and says, I went to a conference, I saw this solution, I want it, and I've got budget. Yep. So, okay, let's have a chat about what you're really trying to achieve and if it, if it's something that doesn't have a long-term impact sometimes you got to just throw a bone and say fine we'll deploy it it's only x amount of money it's not a forever decision we can get out of this you know we're not we're just dating we can get out of this if we want to yeah don't sign a three-year deal yeah and then you can experiment and if it works out that's fantastic and if it doesn't you haven't lost that much Whereas if it's a strategic decision, I don't recommend you do that on ERP or sales for or yeah. sales cloud or service cloud or something like that. But if it's a, a niche solution around the edge, it's okay to experiment and it's okay to not get it right all the time. I love the uh, I love the data analogy because it's just so true. I think a lot of times, especially when you do go to a conference and you meet all these people and you're like, you know, hey, th- this really seems like it's it's going to be the right fit. How do you build up that like colleague capital to be able to go to your business partners and say, hey, I've made some pretty good decisions. Our team has looked at a bunch of different stuff. You got to trust me on this versus kind of letting them kind of find their own path. Because sometimes, like you said, they can innovate and be right sometimes. 
But ultimately, like at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, it's really not going to come down to it's not them making the mistake, right? Yeah, exactly. So colleague capital, is that what you call yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I made okay. that yeah. up. But. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely important. You have to have enough chips in the bank to be able to say no sometimes and be able to have no be the persistent decision. In order to do that, you need a relationship that's built on trust, which starts from I am I am aligned with you. I get paid the same as you do. Mm-hmm. We all get paid based on this outcome. Why would I want something different than you? Why would I want something that's going to hinder you? And you get them to understand that. And then, okay, I understand all that, but I still want a solution. Say, okay, so what are you trying to achieve? What's the business outcome you're trying to achieve? What's the metric that you're going to use to demonstrate whether you're being successful, not just when you're done, but throughout the process? You know, trying to bring in some of the lean startup type of Mm -hmm. thinking where it's what can we do that's small that will tell us whether we're on the right track or not and then continue on that path Uh, and if you have the capability to do it it's all you can experiment so that's the what i would call the throw them a bone and yeah see sure if if you really believe that this is going to work i can find a way to deploy it without it being catastrophic if it doesn't let's innovate together and figure out whether this solution is going to is going to work for us together based on these outcomes that you have agreed that you're going to uh, you're going to deploy. And then sometimes some people are just kind of thick headed and you can't that type of conversation doesn't work. So then you give them the example. I usually use uh, a metaphor of or you got a contractor. If the contractor's coming into your house and the contractor is pretty low level and useless, you're going to tell him I want a window that's three by three and I want it right there. And then he builds it, you pay him, and you measure him on the quality of his workmanship, and you're done. If you've got a contractor that's skillful, you're going to say, you know what, I could use more light in this room. What's the, what are my options to accomplish that? And there's tons of ways to solve that problem. Yep. So it depends. Do they think that you're uh, a barely adequate IT partner, or do they think that you're an IT partner that can give them a solution that will really meet their needs that might not be the one that they've already thought of? So. And it depends on who the colleague is, what type of conversation you have to have with that with that person. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like, do you want a window or do you want light, right? It's like, because if you want a window, we can get you a window as quick as you want. But if you want a, a well-lit room, then uh, we should we should be having that conversation. Right, and if they've never done that before, they might not know that a skylight may be the best way to do it. They might not think that the sun is there in the afternoon and it's going to heat up the room as well as brighten the room. There's just things they don't know because most most of the business people are going to do two or three projects. IT people do projects all the time. They, yep. If something's going to go wrong, the IT people have seen it before. Yeah, exactly. So they, they can share that experience as long as they don't do it in a, unless the user deserves it, unless, so they shouldn't do it in a preachy way. Sometimes they need that. But um, if you can do it in a way that's definitely collaborative and built on trust, then that, that's definitely the best way to do it. You know, it's funny, we talk a lot about, you know, on this podcast, how important CIOs are. Obviously, it's a podcast for CIOs. It's called IT Visionaries, but it's just so obvious looking down the road how important CIOs are going to be. If if they are the brain trust for technology within the organization of like choosing the technology that we all work on as employees, if every CEO says their number one resource is their employees and, you know, making those people productive is the goal of every leader in the organization, then 
what an advantageous position to be as the CIO, as the person who's helping make those people productive. When you talk to other CIOs and, you know, behind closed doors and you're having those conversations and sharing some of the gripes and some of the, some of the good times, is there a sense of like, what, what do you talk about? And is there a sense of like overwhelming positivity, but with a little bit of like, you know, we're overworked sort of thing, or what are you, what are you all talking about? Yeah, it's interesting. So what the first thing is I've found the CIO community to be very open and mm-hmm. willing to share information, even when our companies compete head yep. to head. The IT departments don't think they compete with each other, so they're very willing to get together and talk about our common challenges. We have many of the same vendors, mm-hmm. many of the same system integrator partners. Therefore, we have many of the same opportunities and challenges. Yeah, And there's multiple software companies going through the subscription transformation right now. So I've got a group of people that I can talk to, some of whom we're ahead of, some of whom we're behind, and we can learn from things that worked really well from them and we can learn from their mistakes. So that's the first thing I've, I've found. And then there's, there's discussions that you wouldn't expect that are starting to come up again. Mm-hmm. So people are talking about collaboration again, which is great. So we've had you know challenges like Slack uh, enter the market and really push Microsoft to make their collaboration suite better. We've had Zoom show up mm-hmm. and really push WebEx uh, to be better. There's a lot more excitement around end user collaboration than there's been for a long time. So it's interesting you, you bring that up, that it's, um, our people are the most important resource in the company. And people have said that forever, but it's actually true now, especially if you look in the Bay Area and how difficult it is to, yeah. to recruit and keep good people. I'm very, very aware that many of the people that drive to my office have to pass Facebook, Google, yep. and Microsoft just to get there. Yep. And probably a few Amazon satellite offices too. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, Netf- and Netflix in the same yeah, yeah, and Netflix, and, yeah, uh, too. So I'm very, very aware of that. So I want to get, as a CIO, I want to give all of our employees the best technology I can to make their job as productive and as fun as possible. And my measure of that is I want, I used to work at Oracle. Mm-hmm. I want two sales guys, one from Informatica, one from Oracle, to have a debate in a bar about who has the best technology to do their job. And I know the Informatica guy is going to win that argument. I love the way that you think about that because we talk about all the time, you know, always fight where you can win. And there are differentiators like that, that, I mean, you look at, this is a, a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's relevant. The Google cafeteria is something that has cost, obviously Google makes a lot of money, but it has cost Google millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars over the years. But it was always about telling other people that we care about our employees. Like that's what it was about. Like, yes, the food, like you could, they could just have given that money back to the employees and raised their salaries and paid them even more. They didn't need to make a cafeteria, but the Google bikes and the Google complex and all that sort of stuff, it's a signal to the market we're going to make a huge deal about this. And then they made a movie called The Internship that literally just highlighted all this sort of stuff. And then they raised recruiting. I mean, I'm a you know, marketing geek, so I love this sort of stuff. But it's this idea that, you know, fight where you can win and people want to do their best work. And they know that the technology stack that they're using is extremely important now. And when you're in a place with legacy IT stuff, when you're in a place that fights you tooth and nail to get a keyboard, it's not a place that 
that you want to work and you can say, hey, that's that ain't us. That ain't in Informatica. So do you think that and actually, well, really quick here, uh, any open recs on the team here uh, for on the IT organization? What well, we can link them up in the show notes or something like that. Let us know. Yeah, we do. Actually, um, we're, you know, we're always trying to hire good people, both in well, three, three main locations here in Redwood City, Austin and Dublin and in, in Europe. And then we've got a large site in Bangalore. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll, uh, we'll link that I think stuff we've got in the open spots in all those, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. For those uh, IT folks looking for the next great place. Okay, so I want to switch kind of gears towards just some of the innovation that you're working on, that the company is working on, you know, about hybrid. We've been talking about hybrid in a bunch of the episodes, but we haven't talked about hybrid data management. Can you kind of share a little bit about what you're working on? Yeah, so the hybrid thing's important. It's very, it would be, it would be awesome if we all just woke up and everything was in the cloud. But the reality is, especially for established larger customers, our customers who have these complex data opportunities and challenges, the reality of their world is they're going to be in a hybrid cloud and on-prem place for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's important to us to build solutions that allow them to do data integration from cloud to cloud and from cloud to on-prem. There's no point in optimizing your Marketo to Salesforce integration if you don't also optimize your Salesforce to on-prem ERP mm-hmm. integration. So if you think that you're going to go get all of that from one niche small cloud provider whose differentiation is we're in the cloud, it's not going to happen for a big customer. Mm-hmm. So if you're a Fortune 100, 500, Global 2000 customer, the reality for you is you're probably going to be in a hybrid world for a while. And it's really important to us to serve those customers and that meet them where they're at uh, with that reality. And if their aspiration is to get to the cloud, then they will move gradually from our traditional on-prem data integration product towards our iPaaS product. And unlike every other, I would challenge you to find any other company that's the leader in the cloud market and the leader for the same technology in the on-prem market. Mm-hmm. Generally, that's not the way it happens. If you look at CRM, Sable was a leader in on-prem. Salesforce came and ate their lunch in the cloud. Mm-hmm. We've, we're the leader in on-prem data integration and the leader in cloud. So you're not choosing between a newer, better option and an older, worse option. Mm-hmm. You're getting both best options for both your on-prem stuff and your and your cloud stuff. So I think that demonstrates our commitment to help our customers no matter where they are in their in their journey because we're all in different spots yeah that's a great point and i think a lot of people who feel the digital transformation pull who are not we're not pushing through it who are being pulled through it have that fear you know from the people that we've talked to they're like we have tons of legacy stuff we have tons of data and this is not i mean this is a 10-year journey and we're on year two and it's going to be a long road do you have those type of conversations with with like technology leaders? Yeah, and let, I mean, let's take a, an example of next gen analytics. So it's a it's a common thing that we see our customers try to do, mm-hmm. and it makes complete sense. There's much more data available these days than there ever has been before. The stakes are higher, and expectations are higher because people see from their consumer world what can be done if you properly and responsibly, hopefully, use the use the data. So let's say you're starting on a next gen analytics journey. And you think, okay, all I need to do is go find all the source systems, get all the data, 
dump it in a data lake, stick Tableau on top of it, and we're done, right? Mm -hmm. No, we're not done. As soon as you do that, you're going to find that, oh, now we've got cross-functional data. We've got data that was used and generated by a marketing process that's now being used by a sales process and maybe even a financial reporting process. So now you need governance. So it's not enough to just bring the data in. Mm-hmm. You have to know what you've got, where it came from, who has access to it, and you need a responsible process to make sure that it's been used appropriately. Mm-hmm. So if you think about data like your money, if you asked your CFO, do you know where all the money is? Hopefully they're going to say yes. Yeah. Do you know who has access to transact the money? They're going to say yes, hopefully. Do you know what currencies the money is stored in? They're going to say yes. Do you have a process in place to try to optimize the use of that money? They're hopefully going to say yes. If you ask a CIO those questions and you substitute the word money for data, you're going to get blank stares. Gosh. So if people people are out there talking about data is the new most important thing, it's the new currency. Well, they're not managing it that way. So if you're on this analytics journey, you find quickly that you need governance. And then you think about all the data that's coming in from all these sources. A lot of it's unstructured data mm-hmm. via streaming, real-time, IoT-driven mm-hmm. data. There's no shot that a human can manually process and catalog that. You need some AI to help catalog it. So think about a librarian with trucks and trucks of books showing up. Mm-hmm. There's no shot that that human can go catalog all those books, stock them in the right place, and make it so a user can find it. That's the world we're in with data. So you have to make sure that there's a way to figure out where it came from, where it went, who has access to it. So then you throw in compliance on top of that, and you look at GDPR or the California Privacy Act, and you think, someday someone's going to come to me and say, can you show me where you got my data and please delete it? How are you supposed to do that if you don't know where it came from and where it went? So all these companies are dancing around these problems. Yeah. And it starts with one simple thing of, I would like an enterprise data lake to do some reporting. So we have solutions in all those spaces. Good luck if you pick someone else that just has an analytics solution or just has a data ingestion ETL type solution. You need all of it because if you're going to play that team sport, you need everyone to be able to do their thing and you need different solutions for each uh, for each position. So it's a much more, once you get into it, it's a much more complex thing than you ever think when you start. Also, I want to say to, to back you up a little bit, you know, congratulations on being a magic quadrant for both data integration tools and enterprise integration platform as a service. So as you were mentioning earlier, you know, not a lot of people are able to do be, you know, magic co- mm. quadrant for multiple things. Yep. And we all, we have three other magic quadrants that we're the leader in and not oh, no just kidding. that we're in the top right. We are the top right. Yeah. The uh, most, uh, you know, you, everyone yeah. I'm listening. So MDM uh, is one. So massive data management, which is mostly customer, but also supplier mm-hmm. and product. Um, so there are, are MDM products and in data quality, the quality of the data is really important. If you're FedEx, and you're going to deliver all these packages, you need to know that every address that's in that truck is deliverable. Yeah. So just simple things like that. And then metadata management solutions also. We talked about the inability of a human to manage all of the data. You got a shot if you're extracting and managing the metadata mm-hmm. about it. So that's another area that we that we lead in. And we're very proud of that. And it speaks to the 
investment we have in R&D and how how great our product teams are to build these great products and maintain these leadership positions against some fairly uh, important competitors uh, and we're still able to maintain those leadership positions is something we're very, very proud of. So Informatica provides a lot of real-time solutions. Does that change the way that your customers conduct business or find success or does it make like life easier or what does that look like? Yeah, it does. And it, it, it's really based on expectations are really high now that companies are using the data that's available to them to provide business outcomes. It's no, it's no longer a shock that if there's data created over here, it can be leveraged in a process over here to create a good, a good outcome. So take, uh, take an oil and gas company for, mm-hmm. as an example. So most of the field, you know, your oil rigs are out in the ocean. Your fields are far away from mm-hmm. towns and cities, hopefully. If you think about them relying on batch data from multiple sources to try and figure out what the economic viability of a particular well or, or rig would be. So you think about a batch process where every two weeks you're getting a change in staff and data's gone back and forth. That would help you figure out based on price of oil, based on the efficiency of the well or whatever and the cost of extracting the oil, how effective that thing's going to be. So that was fine when the thing, the asset was 50 miles offshore and, and only connected periodically. But think about now with IoT and all the possibilities of having real-time data streaming from the asset itself <laughs> so that it can be used. So you know real-time what the production is. You know real-time how good a shape the machinery is in based on sensors that are in the uh, in the machinery. So it's very, very possible to optimize efficiency and profitability Safety is a massive uh, mm-hmm. concern for for these companies quite appropriately. And you can very quickly make real-time decisions on what to do based on that data that's now now available to you. And that, that's an area where we see a lot of our customers innovating in this heavy industrial thing, whether it's oil and gas companies or companies like GE with their aircraft business. Mm-hmm. They're taking real-time sensor information to provide not only maintenance diagnostics and and optimize the maintenance schedules, but uh, identify real time any concerns. So it's definitely something that's that's uh, that's changed how our customers are are doing business these days. You know, it's funny we had Craig Walker on. I think he was episode one of IT Visionaries, who's the CIO of Shell Downstream, and we were talking about the fact that some of the data that they were using was in logs from like a hundred years ago, right? And they pulled this data back out and kind of like brushed it off and to look at some of the measurements, different sort of things. And like instantly it was like relevant again, right? And you think about that sort of stuff, like how much data over time, especially in these type of industries where they were taking, you know, massive amounts of data, but in, you know, pen and paper, whatever it was, but just how much that stuff how much of the day-to-day stuff that like, you know, to your point earlier about, you know, shipbuilding and all of these things that were extremely meticulous industries that now you can pull that data in real time. Like it's absolutely fascinating what you can do, but it's also going to become the new normal. It's going to become critical as people, you know, move to the cloud. What do you see? What do you see happening there? Like, what do you see this move to the cloud look like as we're trying to store and manage massive amounts of data? Yeah. Well, another area outside of heavy industry that you wouldn't necessarily think of is agriculture. 
Yeah, it's a great where, point. You know, you think about the importance of providing enough food for us all to eat as the population starts to grow and water becomes mm-hmm. an issue and the capacity of the earth to grow enough food to feed us all. Mm-hmm. Optimizing the production of that process is very, very important. So back in, you're going back to your 100 years example, you'd have farmer's alm- almanac that would tell you what the uh, weather's going to be like, what the climate cycles are, what mm-hmm. the, the production yields are going to be like, when to plant, when to harvest. Mm-hmm. Now with sensors in the ground, you know that for sure. You're mm-hmm. not looking at the stars and guessing. You know for sure whether you need to spike up or down your irrigation based on not just whether it's forecast to rain, but whether it's actually raining. You know that for sure. So you can spike up or spike down your irrigation. You can figure out based on the temperature what the optimal time to harvest would be for either quality or uh, productivity. I've got a friend of mine who moved from Oracle to uh, a wine growing company. Mm -hmm. So going from an underappreciated technologist to someone that's basically the Wizard of Oz for these guys is is an amazing transformation. So with all the sensors they have in the ground, they can figure out how to optimize for quality versus yield versus cost. Uh, It's an amazing thing and it's all powered by all these new technologies that are in the cloud, right? They're not doing that with on-prem infrastructure. The sensors are sending real-time streaming information to either Amazon or Azure, mm-hmm. and they're able to capture that and do real-time analytics on it, and then not just use it for after-the-fact reporting. It's using it to describe what the next best action should be. Based on what we actually know, you should do this, and you should do this now. It's really powerful, and it's something that these traditional industries can now take advantage of. What do you think that IT looks like in the future? Are there new skills? Is the org look the same? You know, does it look similar to the way that your your org now? Like, what is what is this all? What are we headed towards? I think it's interesting. You know, the the organization and the needs of the organization are going to continue to evolve. There's definitely new skills that we need. Whether the organizational structure changes or not, I'm not sure. We, we added a CDO function to IT recently, uh, just last year. It was new and something that two years ago we weren't thinking about. So there might be new functions like that, but I think big skills. Vendor management is going to be a huge one, but and that's really based on the ability to manage cost. The cloud gets expensive if you don't manage it properly. Yeah. It can be, you mentioned getting stuck in a bad SaaS contract. Uh, if you look at the cost of just compute from Amazon and Azure, if you don't optimize your consumption of that stuff, it gets very expensive very quickly. There's no governance at the point of consumption. Mm-hmm. And you give a good engineer the choice between small and large and slow and fast, they're not picking a cheap one most of the time. So you have to have tools in place to um, to manage that. And there's some interesting niche providers growing up to help you do that. People like Cloudability and, and things like that that help you manage your, your cloud spend. So I think IT is going to move away, obviously move away from managing data centers and hardware infrastructure and more towards management of a portfolio of applications that are mostly in the cloud. And then the provision of compute, whether it's hosted by you or not. So we don't own most of the Amazon contract that we have, but my team's responsible for optimizing the cost of it. Oh, interesting. Uh, Because that's what they're good at. Yeah. Uh, so let the engineers do what they're great at and let the IT people, the operators, do what they're good at. And um, I think that's going to become a a skill that's going to start to be actively recruited for in the future. If you think about 
what does what does the IT job look like in four or five years? There's definitely going to be a new a new group of people within IT whose job it is to optimize the providing of and the management of, including the cost and the quality and the security of these cloud solutions, especially Amazon and Azure and GCP. You know, the tough part though there is from some of the CIOs that we've talked to is like the, you know that you have to be part CFO, but it's like, at what point do you turn into the person who's like just the no, the no person again, you know, and that's the, that's the yeah. tough part. Yeah. I don't like the no, I like the yes, if, or yes, yeah. when, or yeah, no, unless. Yeah. Because it's not about putting in unreasonable control. If you do that, then engineers are really good at finding a way around it. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, and if the money's coming from their budget, they want it to be optimized too. They just don't want to spend the time to do it and they may not have the skills to do it. That's a great point. So, I mean, it's coming out of their budget anyway, so that's yeah. a great point. So I like to look at the IT people as a, a weapon that can be wielded across the organization to take out inefficiency and cost, as opposed to doing it to them, do it with them and for them. Uh, that goes back to your colleague capital comment <laughs> earlier. Uh, you got to have a position of, we're working on the same thing. We're on the same team. I'm really good at this. You're really good at that. Uh, let's work together and, and figure it out. It's like trying to get, trying to turn a double play. You need everyone to do their job. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and maybe a, um, a left-handed second baseman is not going to get it done. Yeah. So why ask them to do that job? I actually wanted to, to touch on the piece of why you added the CDO because I think that this also chief data officer is another one, another CDO, but you're talking chief digital officer. It's actually chief data officer as oh, well as CDO. Yeah. Oh, geez, look at me. I'm, I've, that was See? Freudian. <laughs> um, oh, got it. So I thought you were talking chief digital, digital officer. So then, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, this is something that like, Seems obvious. Seems like in five years, every every company's going to have one of these. Any company that has data, which is every company. So why'd you add it? Yeah, so for us, the time was right. We were starting to see more cross-functional reliance on the same data. And in order to do that, it needs to be managed as an enterprise asset. And that's the CDO's job within our company. The reason it reports into IT is these jobs we see it in our customers sometimes these jobs can sometimes turn into ivory tower science project type mm -hmm. jobs and they will make pronouncements like we should use our data for the most profitable purpose well no one's disagreeing with that mm -hmm. but they're not equipped with the the what and the how to get it done so by co-locating that function within it what we were able to do is leverage existing operations resources to manage the environment so I don't want to have another 24-7 function that has to manage the environments, whether they're in Azure or whether they're um, on-prem. I don't want someone having to deal with that. So instead of the CDO building their own team to do that, they leverage the operations team. We already had good cloud data integration people. So instead of hiring another group of people to do that, we leverage the people that already existed within the applications function who have been doing data integration for years to do that. And then we bundled a small analytics team under there to actually deliver reports. So if if you want a CDO function that's focused on compliance, and some people do, if you're financial services or healthcare, mm -hmm. maybe compliance is the driver. For us, it was actually getting things done. Mm -hmm. And to get things done, they can either be outside of IT and make high-level, highfalutin statements about what you should do, or they can be in IT and actually get it done. 
So we chose the get it done approach. I love it. Or we have a saying at Mission, have fun and get it done. That's like our, uh, our, our COO yeah, tells good. us that. We're always good at the having fun part. That's the, we're <laughs> really good at that. It's the getting the done part that sometimes spend a couple hours in the studio. You don't get to leave until the, the uh, podcast is complete. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the lightning platform by Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn how you can build apps fast and easy, just like the lightning round questions. It's great. Thanks to our friends at Salesforce. We love them. You will too. Check it out. Lightning round questions, fast and easy. Are you ready? Yes, I think so. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? Uh, well, the baseball season's still early, so I'm still on the MLB app following the Giants. Favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Favorite book or podcast? So I've got two classes of podcasts I listen to. I like to listen to business ones like Forrester. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of good ones. And then there's one called Barbless Podcast, which is all about fly fishing, which is my other hobby. So if you're a fly fisherman... Look up the Barbless podcast. It's awesome. I will check. I will check that out. I was looking for uh, a fly fishing podcast. So my this is not lightningy, but it's great to mention. So my a family friend is a like famous fly fishing guide in Montana. So he's guided for like all sorts of people. And we went up there a couple of years ago to Bozeman and spent a weekend with them, and it was just incredible, just incredible place. So if you need if you need a connection there, just let okay. me know. Barbless, that's great. That's great. Do you have a favorite vacation spot? Yeah, so the last few years we've been going to Scotland on vacation to see family. It's got a good combination of mountains and ocean, which I like spending time in both. Me too. I, You know, this maybe this is, my mom loves it here, and I think it's the Scott in her of like, you get the fog, you get the mountains, you get the ocean, that's why I love the Bay Area. Where in Scotland do you recommend people go? Uh, my favorite spot, which is easy to get to, is the island of Arran, which is mm-hmm. an hour's ferry drive, ferry ride from the west coast, so near near Glasgow. So you can get on a train from Glasgow, you can be at the ferry in an hour, and it's an hour on the ferry to the island of Arran. And Arran is a, it's like Scotland in miniature, it's got everything, it's got lovely beaches, it's got high mountains, it's got everything that you could possibly want, including a distillery and a brewery. Oh man, I'm sold. I'm good. I'm headed there now. Buying my buying my tickets. What is your favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? So one that really surprised me is how useful the Bank of America Erica chatbot has become. Hmm. So you can and you I don't think of banks as being tremendously forward thinking in terms of technology, but recently they've definitely upped the game and you can go on Erica and say, pay my PG and E bill and she says how much and from this account and it's done. What is your best advice for a first time CIO? Uh, there's definitely a recipe to follow. So follow the money, make sure you know where the money's being spent. That's where you will find the money you need to go do the things that the company wants to do, but doesn't have the money to fund. Make sure that you assess your team and make sure you got the right people on the bus uh, for the new vision your team is going to be a function of the past you need to make sure that it's fit for the future and then your number one job is to make sure they are not wasting their time flawlessly executing on the wrong stuff so if left alone 
creative people will focus on the most interesting project. Mm-hmm. It's your job to make the most profitable project the most interesting one. I love that. Second to last question. What technology are you most excited about for the future of IT? So I think it has it has to be the responsible use of AI. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to help us automate and eliminate so many routine low-level jobs and it's not about the money it's about the quality you ask a human to do something a thousand times they're going to make a few mistakes the machine can do it right every single time so for me being able to i don't like putting my staff in a position where they can make a mistake that causes a business impact i would love to have that delegated to the machines what question do you never get asked or that you didn't get asked today that you wish I had asked you? Where's the hot bite for trout in May in Northern California? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Reading is awesome right now. There's lower, really? Yeah, the lower Sacramento as it runs out of Keswick Reservoir below Shasta has, it's one of the most underappreciated trout fisheries in the West. It's got big fish, cold water, lots of food, and it's very easily accessible. So. Anyone that wants to try fly fishing, I'd recommend take the four hour drive from the barrier to Reading and go catch some trout. So you just, so you just smash up on, uh, on five. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Yeah. Five all the way to Reading. Bit of a drive though. Yeah. It's worth it. So man, I love that. I used to go as a kid, we used to go up to Red Bluff every year. That's great. That's a, that's a, that's a heck of a, heck of a hint. Graham, this has been absolutely awesome. Uh, really great to have you. Any final things, anything to plug? We'll link up uh, some job recs here in the uh, show notes. Yeah, the only thing to plug is uh, next week is our big customer conference. It's Informatica World. It's in the Venetian in Las Vegas. By the time this is published, it's probably in progress or over, but um, it's a it's our biggest conference of the year and it's a great way for all of our customers to see how their co-customers are using our solutions to generate great business value it's a really exciting event for all of us awesome yeah informatical world check it out hopefully we get it out in time thanks so much for coming thanks ian it was a pleasure thank you again to our friends at salesforce it visionaries is brought to you by the lightning platform by salesforce Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.